Today's Bible reading comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, from verses 1 to 14. And you'll find that on page 953 in the church Bibles in front of you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thanks, Jane. Uh, Morning, everyone. Nice to see so many of you here worshipping Christ together, and we welcome also those who are on live stream. Excuse me for a moment. Captivated by Christ is the, uh, the general theme over these seven weeks and is my hope and prayer that you would be so captivated by Christ that you and I would give ourselves completely to God and his work, his purposes. Let me ask you this question as we start this series in Colossians. What do you do when someone tells you that the gospel message you heard and put your faith in is not sufficient to save you nor to live a fulfilled and satisfied life. See, you don't quite have enough. What do you do when they offer you a new and novel experience of the Spirit or some new knowledge that they have discovered, that if you only understood this, you would blossom in your spiritual life? What do you do when they impress upon you the need to follow some rules and regulations? Worship on Saturday, for example, or following certain food laws, implying that only then will you have really made it as a Christian. Well, the church in Colossae in the first century was facing a challenge from false teachers who are a bit like that. They were either taking away from the gospel or they were adding to the gospel, which makes it no gospel at all. The Apostle Paul writes his epistle to the Colossians, probably from Rome, we believe, while he was under house arrest, about the year AD 60, in order to remind the believers to continue in the true gospel, to resist those who sought to influence them to head in a different direction. And Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 is really your summary verse of this whole epistle. It says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, 
Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So the answer in the Christian walk is not to look for a new experience, a novel teaching, the next big thing, new rules and regulations. People are chasing those things all the time. Oh, Christ is not enough. I need something extra. And they move from the gospel. They move from the hope that is in Jesus, the son of God who died and rose again for us. You see, we need to be captivated by the true Christ. And Paul says to the Colossians, stick with what you have heard. Don't listen to other false teachers. Don't listen even to the society that would seek you to change the word of God and to believe something different. Stick to what you have learned because it is the true gospel. Friends, in my own personal experience, I've been told by people, uh, when I mentioned that I'm a Christian, committed Christian, I'm born again, I'm filled with the Spirit, I use all those terms so they understand that I'm, you know, I'm not just normally Christian. They then tell me I must observe the Sabbath day. Sunday worship is a sign of the, pe- of the beast, the Antichrist. I must speak in tongues to have this newness of, and power in God. I need to attend a certain church for salvation because all the other churches aren't that right. I need to follow certain food laws. I need to be the language in the past was slain in the spirit, so overcome by the spirit that I fall over and therefore that will lead to a new spiritual growth. I need to experience the Toronto blessing that came out many years ago where people laughed and giggled a lot and fell over. I need to reject Jesus' claim to divinity. You can't believe he's God, he's a good man. Or to believe that Jesus is the Holy Spirit. One church was saying they, have a, they don't have a trinity, they simply have God the Father, then Jesus who is the Spirit. So it's not a, what's it, a binary or something, <laughs> rather than a trinity. And that's, no, no, this is the truth. Uh, someone urged me to reject the physical resurrection of Jesus. Jesus just rose spiritually in our hearts and he's gone to heaven, but his body's still in the grave. I listened, I tested the claims against the scriptures and I've continued to walk in Christ. Paul says to the Colossians, there'll be people seek to move you from the true gospel, don't listen to them. And he begins uh, to uh, his epistle, Uh, with these dangerous people in mind. So keep that in mind as we read through Colossians. And he says, Paul describes himself, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I'm legitimate. As I speak to you, listen to me. And Timothy, our brother, faithful servant, and he writes to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. He's genuine, and he, he encourages them that they are faithful people. They are faithful brothers and sisters. False teachers might say, you're not truly faithful, you don't really know the word of God. He said, no, no, you guys are the true deal. And then he begins by thanksgiving. Paul often in his epistles begins with thanksgiving. Now he gives thanksgiving for gospel fruit, verses 3 to 8. He gives thanks to God. We always thank God. Notice this. He doesn't say, we always thank you. No, 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 he says, we thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. God always gets the glory in Paul's prayers. Important, isn't it? We thank God for his work in the Colossians. And we think about now, we thank God for his work in and through us. And we are thankful that God, by his spirit, enables us, empowers us to be faithful servants of his. Paul sees the good things 
He says, God, you are so good. It's amazing what you have done in their lives. And friends, we want to think the same way here at Nawi Baptist. When we see conversions or baptisms or Muslim people come to our playtimes and meet Christians and hear the gospel and people, hundreds of people engage in ministry, when the Chinese ministry is reaching out to its community, when kids come and uh, large numbers of youth come to our ministries and we show pastoral care and we do evangelism mission locally and globally and we see God at work, we say, thank you, God. That's where we start. God, you are at work. And then he thanks God for their authentic faith, love and hope. And he reassures the Colossians in prayer that they are true Christians despite what the false teachers are saying. God has done a genuine work in their lives. How do we know? He says, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. You're genuine. We've heard of the love you have for all God's people. You're genuine because you're living it out. You don't just say we follow Jesus. You're living it out in loving actions. And the faith and love that spring from the hopes taught up for you in heaven, you have an eternity to come. And about which you have already heard in the true, notice the language, the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Dick Lucas, one commentator, writes, When Paul combines these three elements, faith, love and hope, of Christian spirituality, as in this context, it is usually to provide a basic and sufficient description of the genuine Christian. These three qualities are the hallmarks and the proper evidences of a work of God in the soul of man. And we'll add women. They have faith in Jesus Christ. Right? They trust Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness, for eternity. It's him that they put their faith in. They're captivated by him. They have a love for all the saints. It shows up in their behavior. It was lovely here about... Uh, People who aren't Christians who come into our playtime ministry, as Liz has shared, who are experiencing love and affection. And we see that right across our ministries. They have a hope stored up for them in heaven. They heard in the message of the gospel. But it is that hope that ensures we keep an eternal perspective. Now, yesterday I visited Chris Christophus's father in hospital. We could tell he didn't have long to live. But his wife said, we are followers of Jesus. Where's life to come? He's, the, he's been looking forward to be with Jesus now. Suffering some dementia and then some myeloma eating, uh, causing some damage to his brain. And talking pretty quickly in the last couple of weeks. But he's now with Christ. You see, there's a hope of eternity to come. And that changes how we live and how we face life, how we face death. And because we have an eternal perspective, we... We are willing to pay the cost to send workers to Southeast Asia, to North Africa, to Central Asia, to Cambodia. We put our money behind the work of the gospel or into France with, with the warrants. And you do that because you have an eternal perspective. But God calls us to risky service, not safety. Faith, love, and hope. We are living a light of eternity. Friends, in 2015, the Anglican Bishop of Ethiopia hailed as martyrs 28 Ethiopian Christians who were shot or beheaded in Libya by members of the terrorist group ISIS. And then he wrote this, and there was a video shared, and then he wrote this afterwards. He said, personal details about the men who have died may emerge in time. For now we can note the most important things to be said about these victims. Their names are known to God, and they are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Revelation 13, verse 8. Their denominational affiliation is no longer of any importance. They are among the unnumbered throng 
from every nation, tribe, people and language gathered before the throne and the Lamb, who have come out of the great persecution and have had every tear wiped away from their eyes. He continued, how are we as Christians, those of us in Ethiopia, as well as around the world, how are we to react to this most recent atrocity? First, he says, we must look up to God in thanksgiving for the lives of these brothers who love not their own lives, but follow Jesus in the way of the cross. Second, we must ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen us to abandon the temptation to hate. Instead, we must follow Jesus, who not only suffered death on the cross, but also prayed for his executioners to be forgiven. If we are turned to hatred, the terrorists have won. Finally, we must continue to reach out to a world desperate for the love of Jesus. Make no mistake, he says, the terrorists who executed these martyrs of Ethiopia have exhibited the worst of human depravity. They have also revealed their desperate need of a saviour. The Apostle Paul, a great persecutor of the Church of God, was turned to love by his experience of meeting Christ on his way to the Syrian city of Damascus. May God use his church to so act and speak and show the love of Christ that many former or potential persecutors may be turned and have their names written in the book of life. Friends, you can only say that when you have not only faith and love, but you have hope of what is to come. And then he thanks God for the effect of the true gospel in verses 5 to 8. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. In the first century, as the gospel started to spread, they saw life transformed. Under persecution, the, the apostles uh, and other Christians that we see in the book of Acts were spread out to go to other places to share the gospel. And Paul says, it's spreading. Good news is getting out. It's growing. And friends, it's growing through our ministries too. Isn't it? As we kick off our ministries, there'll be hundreds and hundreds of people who come in touch with us outside of our own personal relationships and our work relationships, just here through our ministries who do not know Jesus yet. And our prayer is that the gospel would spread and that people would come to know Jesus and be changed by him. But I want to urge you, wherever you are, at work, amongst your families, to pray for the spread of the gospel, to see gospel fruit, transform lives, restored marriages. You know, I was uh, at a function with my wife. My wife is a they call a Fortean, went to Fort Street High School, and she gets together with some of her Fortians. There are probably a few in here, too. And, uh, and they get together, but uh, and I'm always the hanger-on, or I went to a really average public school uh, that you wouldn't send your kids to. Uh, beautiful Enmore Heights grammar, I call it. It was Enmore High, but that's throwing the grammar to make it sound better. Uh, but at this function, they all get together and talk, and there was another woman and I, we were just the add-ons, so we sat uh, away at one time we were talking, and which I started to share my, my faith in Christ, and she was asking me about what I believe and what I did for life, and then she said this, you are so lucky 
No one's ever said that to me when I told them I was a Christian before. I said, so why do you say that? Because you have purpose and focus. Life makes sense for you. I said, yes, it does. Knowing Jesus Christ gives me not only forgiveness and reconciliation with God, but a purpose and a direction in life. Friends, people are looking for meaning and purpose and direction. In Christ, we have that. And as we share with people, they'll ask us and they will notice that. The gospel is bearing fruit in the Colossians as well. Said, not only is it bearing fruit everywhere, we see the work amongst you. You are being changed by the gospel. God is doing a fabulous work amongst you. And he reminds them that Epaphras was a faithful minister of Christ. Why does he do that? Because you see, Paul hadn't been to Colossae. Maybe they're saying, well, Epaphras didn't give you all the message. Maybe when Paul comes, he'll give you more of the message. And Paul will align with us as false teachers. No, Paul wants to say, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister. Notice all the language here. Every word Paul uses is significant. On our behalf, you see, and who also told us of your love in the spirit. Don't doubt his proclamation. Stick with what he has taught you in the truth. But having now thanked God for all these things, Paul now begins to pray for them. And that's important, I think, in all of our ministers. As we give thanks for what God has done in the past, let's pray for more of that to happen. Let's pray for it to become even more fruitful. Let's pray that we would understand God's will even better. Three things we learn about the setting of this process. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Because God has been at work, we have continued to pray for you. He prays for Christians he has never met personally. He said, we're praying for you. I wonder whether you've ever prayed for people you haven't met personally. Maybe you get a prayer guide from a mission agency and you think, oh, I haven't met them personally, but they're working amongst the people in Kazakhstan or they're working in Saudi Arabia or they're working in Paraguay or I'm going to pray for them. You get prayer letters. So your focus is not simply on your family and your church, but you're able to pray for others in other places doing God's work. I hope your prayer list is more extensive than simply just your family or your local church. It says, perhaps people never met personally, he prays unceasingly. Now, that does not mean that he's just mumbling prayers 24 hours a day, right? What he's saying is that I constantly remember you. You're always on my mind. I'm, in my prayer life, I, I pray for you. And he links his prayers of thanksgiving to prayers of petition. Verse 9 says, for this reason, I pray. Don Carson says, the kinds of things for which Paul thanks God are the kinds of things for which Paul asks. Common practice. He thanks God for the gospel fruit and he prays for more gospel fruit. Carson puts it this way, consider first our own practice. We may, of course, pray when things are going well. This was humbling to me this week. We often, we may pray when things are going well. But is it not true that we are inclined to pray with a great deal more urgency when things are going badly? Right? There's an illness, financial pressure, moral failure, dissension in the church, tensions in the family. Those are the times when we are driven to prayer. I thought, yeah, you're probably right. Life's going well, you don't thank God, you don't pray much, and something goes wrong. God help, right? It's always encouraging to find Christians instantly taking their needs and fears to God. It's, that's not a bad thing. It's good to do that. But if we pray only at those times, we are overlooking a great lesson from the Apostles' prayer life. When Paul learned 
learns of the work of God in some church, he gives thanks. Then he prays for still more of the same, shaped perhaps by his knowledge of their special needs and propensities of this particular body of believers. Doubtless Paul intercedes when there are barriers to be hurdled. The point here is that he also intercedes when there are signs of life and power and grace. For his concern is that such, such signs should be protected and increased. So when we see the good things happening and, and we, you know, large numbers of people coming to our services and kids and youth and craft groups and playtime groups and people going out to teach SRE in schools and we hear of good things happening, let's give thanks to God. Spend the first 10 minutes of your prayers thanking God for what God is doing amongst us. When you hear of the work of uh, some of our cross-cultural workers and people getting converted in, uh, in places of Southeast Asia or North Africa and other places, give thanks to God and keep praying. What's the content of his prayer? We'll ask God to fill believers with a knowledge of his will. We continually ask God to fill you with a knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Friends, we need to pray that because we need to know God's will, understand God's will. And you're going to find that answer, the, the will of God, by the way, in your word, in God's word. Pray that God will give you understanding to know his will and purpose. But he also prays that the believers might be pleasing to the Lord. You pray to know God's will, God's word, so that you would live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. I mean, I want to get to the end of 2023 and feel like I've pleased the Lord. I, I put a smile on his face. I, I, I've honoured him by what, how I've lived. That I was faithful, not sinful, but faithful. Not disobedient, but obedience. Not selfish, but other person-centred. Pray that I have the knowledge of his will. And four characteristics of a life pleasing to the Lord. Christians bear fruit in every good work. That's what he's praying. Because if you are pleasing the Lord, we want to be men and women who bear fruit in every good work, which means we've got to do the good work if we're going to bear fruit. Amen? We've got to be involved in doing the God's work if we're going to bear fruit. So we all have a, a part to play in that. Ephesians 2 says we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in, a, in advance for us to do. Home group leading, prayer for others, practical ministry, one-on-one -on -one discipling, evangelism, hospitality, mercy, music, administration, whatever it happens to be. Act in good work, do good work, empowered by God, then we can see the fruit come out of that. But secondly, Christians grow in the knowledge of God. Sometimes we assume, and David joked earlier that uh, you could look like us after 30 years after we left Moreland College, you don't want that, uh, but I would hope that 30 years after leaving Moreland College and 30 more years of walking with Jesus, that there might be something in me that you might see and say, I want to be like that. I spent all my time living with Jesus and there's nothing that you would see that you would imitate in me. I might as well just resign. And many of you are raising children. You want to live in such a way, growing in your knowledge of God. You're not stagnant. You're not a status quo. It's oh, just the same. You know, I'm just you know, going through the motions. No, that your children see an increasing love and passion for Jesus. And they want to be part of that. 
So, wow, you know, God is at work. My mum and dad, they pray, they serve, they give, and they have a world perspective, they have an eternal perspective, and our children are going to see that. I hope we're growing in the knowledge of God. And friends, in my 25 years here, I've seen four-year-olds grow into mature, Christ-centered, godly 29-year-olds now serving Christ. About 25 years you see, I've seen 22-year-olds become godly 47-year-old parents and servants of the gospel. And I've seen 50-year-olds age gracefully with the continuing passion to see God glorified in all of life. One of the most exciting things is to see that. There's also the pain of people walking away from Christ in those 25 years or growing up and not wanting to know Jesus. But to see them at four-year-olds, now to see them almost 30-year-olds, loving and serving Jesus, that brings me great joy. And Christians are strengthened so as to display great endurance and patience, verse 11. Being strengthened, and we're going to need this, with all power, according to his glorious might, that you may have great endurance and patience. He prays for that. And friends, we need to pray that for ourselves, don't we? That we keep going, trusting Jesus. And Don Carson writes, endurance and patience... Enable the believer to survive with joy when persecuted, to triumph in self-composure and contentment when insulted, to trust God's all-wise and all-gracious providence when one is suffering like Job. When Jesus sees these virtues in us, he's well-pleased. Finally, Christians joyfully give thanks to the Father. When we realize what God has done for us in Jesus, we cannot help but give thanks. And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Friends, we have a place with God forever. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We're on the way to hell in the darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We've been rescued from darkness to light, from death to life. We're now part of Jesus' kingdom in whom we have redemption, we are delivered, we are set free, no longer enchained to death and sin and Satan. We are redeemed, we are delivered, the forgiveness of sins. How can you not give thanks for those things? Let me conclude as we prepare to go to the Lord's Supper. The gospel transforms our lives to produce faith, love and hope. Let's give thanks for the gospel and never add to it, Jesus is enough. Let's give thanks for gospel fruit and pray for more. And let us pray for the knowledge of God's will so that we will live God-glorifying lives, bearing fruit in every good work. Amen. We pray. Lord God, as we launch into this series, as we hear this prayer of Paul, We ask, Lord God, that we would be like him prayerful for each other, for the lost, for the ministries of this church, not only locally but globally. Lord, may we see the bearing of of fruit through our ministries this year. May we see men and women redeemed, forgiven, set free to find life and meaning and purpose and relationship with you. God, we offer ourselves up to you. We know it's all possible because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. 
We thank you.